In today's episode, we're going to be talking about how the fan has shifted from being a mere passive consumer to desiring to be an active contributor in the experience that they consume. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. Quick plug before we get to our guest introduction today. If you're focused on guest experience or employee experience, definitely go check out our email newsletter. As we work with pro teams and college athletic departments around the country, we're taking the lessons that we learn from our experiments and our projects, and we're putting those insights into the newsletter. A couple of times per week, you'll get everything from the articles and content that are inspiring us to innovate, as well as new tools that we're using and loving. If you get value from this show, you're going to love the newsletter. To sign up, head to engagementpartners.com backslash newsletter. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out, you know, what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the lessons that they've learned throughout their successful careers And how do we take those insights and apply them to the world of sports and entertainment? Uh, If you're new to the show, that's what we do. Welcome. We're excited to have you. And if you're a loyal listener, we are so thankful that you come back week after week to listen to us. I think we've got a really fun episode for you today. Today, we are sitting down with the chief marketing officer of fan-controlled football, Jennifer Rottenberg. So won't go too deep on Jennifer's credentials and her past, but suffice it to say, she's been a chief marketing officer, chief content officer, president of marketing group. Uh, One of the roles that she had was chief marketing officer of USA Water Polo. Um, For me, I love it. She's got a Harvard Business School and Princeton background, so you know she's smart as hell. Uh, But she's coming in and she's got a really unique viewpoint from working with fan-controlled football. And if you don't know what fan-controlled football is, She'll explain it in the episode and she'll give you a much better rundown of what the league is, but it is kind of what it sounds. So basically fans control everything in the league from the plays to the logos, to the team names, to the rules on pass interference, to the name of the league finals, the fans are controlling it. So we talk a lot about different things in this episode, um, but really some of the key takeaways, if I'm you, that I've got a lens on listening to this One of the key takeaways is being a data-driven organization. So they really, really do a better job than really any league on being data-focused because they're not just taking data and making decisions on it. The fans quite literally are making some of those decisions. So not only are they a data-driven company, but we get into a lot of, from Jen's perspective, as the chief marketing officer, how do you deal with taking your your hands off and saying, we really are going to let the fans make some of these decisions. And how do you manage the anxiety and mental stress that goes along with giving the fans a voice? Because I know a lot of senior leaders uh, in sports and entertainment right now struggle with that. So we're going to talk about those two things, but we're also going to talk about how the chief marketing officer of fan controlled football, Jen, how they went about attracting fans and the specific way that they framed the league up to attract certain demographics, how they identified those demographics, how they went after them to bring them into the league, how they're constantly working on the user experience and the customer experience of the league. 
we'll get into a little bit of the, the structure of the league and how they run really lean uh, because they're so digital focused. It's a really interesting episode because they, they just run very differently than a traditional live entertainment sports league. So hopefully it triggers a bunch of different ideas for you listening to be able to take to your own sports and entertainment organization and make improvements. Um, but without further ado, let's get into this episode with Jennifer Rottenberg. Jen, welcome to the show. David, thank you for having me. All right, so let's jump into this. It's in the name, but fan-controlled football. Give us the 30-second overview of what the league is, what it's all about, how it works. Again, fan-controlled football should be a a solid hint for all of our (laughs) listeners if if they aren't familiar with the league. But for those that aren't, give us a little 30-second rundown as to what the league is. Sure. In just a couple words, it's Madden in real life. Like that's our shorthand for it. Uh, but really, it, we're, what we're doing is taking live professional sports uh, and giving fans an opportunity con- to consume them and interact with them the way they would a video game. So it's fan control of their own experience, something that consumers have been uh, moving towards over the last couple decades in general, you know, oh, I can binge watch TV shows when I want to. I can control my avatar in this video game. But sports was sort of the last bastion of, well, I got to just, you know, sit back, let whatever happens happen. And so we're trying to change that paradigm and uh, and sort of bridge this gap between your traditional Gen X sports fan and their video game consuming Gen Z kids. Um, it is live indoor football shortened games, um, set up in a production studio environment with fans deciding everything from the team names and logos and uniform designs to drafting players and calling the plays live in real time. It's so wild, but it, it, I mean, you're right. It's where, where the league is or not the league, but it's where the world is going, where there's this shift towards passive consumption to active participation. And you guys are, are really kind of on the forefront of it. Um, when you, when you launched the league, did you have a specific target audience or expected audience uh, that would be consuming your content and participating in the league? Yeah, for sure. So we, we broke them out into four segments, sort of average general football fan, your more avid football fan. And for that, mean, that means uh, somebody that's doing something besides just watching. So they're playing fantasy or they're betting on it uh, or they're playing Madden. There's some, a second tier of fandom. Uh, and then gamers in general. Uh, and then uh, actually the fans of our celebrity team owners. So that was our fourth segment. Interesting. And uh, yeah, and so ended up working out was we actually hit on all four levers. And we did expect with that, breakout to kind of skew more mail and we did skew more mail for season one and uh and we sort of thought we would be in that uh, pocket of 18 to 34 and that is really where we ended up i love it okay so i'm gonna get really nerdy here and try to describe this as best you can but i i think sometimes traditional stick and ball sports tend to get caught up on when they think about demographics they think of it as age groups and clearly what you just laid out for us of I'm going to try to get this right. Avid fans, act or uh, active fans, uh, fans of the the celebrity coaches and gamers in general. There's overlap between those. Uh, 
And so how did, how did you structurally like lay out these differences between the fans and the overlaps? Was it, I'm, I'm, was it in a pyramid? Was it a Venn diagram? Like structurally, how did you approach laying out and attracting these different groups? Yeah. So that's, that's a great question because we, we sort of have hit on all of them. Not, well, not really a, a pyramid, but uh, definitely sort of a pie chart and Venn diagram. Okay. Uh, those are the two big ones. But I, I personally sort of lean more towards the Venn diagram because to your point, uh, there there is definitely overlap. But um, uh, it wasn't about trying to find that sweet spot in the middle of the diagram. It was more about um, what are those segments and uh, and how and should we think about the overlap? Um, at, in the end of the, the end of the day, though, when we actually like in our pitch decks and things, it's actually a pie chart. It is okay. <laughs> so it's more about like um, uh, we've got like thirty percent general football fans, another thirty percent gamers, uh, another ten um, percent uh, from our celebrity team ownership groups, and uh, another thirty percent in the more avid. Uh, football enthusiast space. As you guys studied the data as the season went on, how did that data change in terms of who you were actually attracting versus who you thought you were going to attract when you first launched? Oh, you know, I have to be honest, it, it didn't change a lot. Um, we we definitely, you know, uh, hit really, look, Twitch was a great partner for us. Uh, they are actually equity investors in the league. So they had a vested interest. Uh, in in working with us and promoting our broadcasts. And uh, and so we definitely saw a heavy, uh, a substantial access to the gamer audience through Twitch and a heavy interest in us from the gamer world uh, through Twitch. Uh, obviously, our celebrity team owners were actively promoting us, not only in their social media, but also in their general interactions with media. I mean, Renee Montgomery went out and announced her team ownership on TMZ. Thanks, Renee. Uh, so uh, so they were definitely very active as well. So we had their them bringing their segment in. And then we relied quite a bit on uh, earned media and paid media and organic social media to hit the football, uh, the football side of the business. So we really did garner from, from all four groups uh, pretty well. I love it. I, I want to talk more about active participation and voting on plays versus regular consumption, but maybe can you paint a picture for the people that have not seen fan controlled football, about kind of how the interface works. You mentioned that you're doing it on Twitch. Um, talk to us about like if what, what someone could expect from a viewing experience or from a participation experience, what are they actually seeing on the screen? How do they interact? How does that all work with Twitch? Sure. So we built uh, what they call an extension on Twitch. It's basically a custom overlay with actual code behind it. And uh, what you'd see surface when your team is on offense as one play completes. Actually, we worked with IBM and their Watson technology to help us provide fans with a predicted level of success of each play that was offered up. So what percent chance does this run have to get a first down or a touchdown? What percent chance does this pass play have to get a first down or a touchdown. So what you would see is six plays show up, two run options, four pass options. They all come out of the playbook. All of our teams were located in one place. So all of our athletes trained together, one playbook for the whole league. So all the plays come out of the playbook. Uh, our algorithm picks the same way a coaching staff would actually think about it in terms of, you know, game situation. Uh, what, what, um, uh, what, how much time is on the clock? What's the score? Are we ahead or behind? 
uh, all those different game situation um, elements. And then, and then six plays are surfaced. The play diagrams are there. So it looks a lot like a Madden interface Too where cool. you've got play diagrams. You've got your Watson predictions. You click, uh, you got 15 seconds to click on the one you want. And then you are watching the other fan votes come in and you end up seeing the percentage and which uh, play call actually got the most, the highest percentage of fan votes. And then that's the play that, you know, two seconds later you see run on the field. Now we did build out uh, simultaneous in the Twitch extension as well as in our app. So if you chose to watch on Twitch without the extension active, or you were watching like on Venn, which was another one of our distribution partners for connected TV, you could use the app as a second screen device or a controller. And again, click on the uh, the diagram that uh, of the play that you wanted to have uh, the team run. And then, uh, and then it gets run on the field. We did actually also in terms of what the experience looks like, we utilized what we call the Madden view as our primary camera angle. So uh, for those not aware, traditionally for like football, you're the, the primary angle is, you know, 50 yard line, right? And, and you're looking down. And then as the teams move one direction or the other, we're looking down the line of scrimmage. That's where every play starts, right? Um, if you're watching on CBS or Fox or the NFL, right? But for us, uh, we took the position of downfield from over the shoulder of the quarterback as our primary camera view. Now we had other camera angles. We had the sideline cameras, um, but that was the angle actually that we chose a primary and the way we accomplished it was actually the drones. So drone cameras following the plays uh, and the players down the field. So a different visual experience as well, not just the interactivity. I mean, too cool. And the way you describe it, it literally just brings me back to college playing Madden of, of what that actual, the actual interface looks like random logistics question. How do you prevent the other team, the def the defense from looking at the offensive plays and just saying, okay, let's adjust to this. I mean, it's all probably happening pretty quick, but how did you guys approach that? Uh, I, I mean, they could, but to your point, it's actually happening so fast. It's yeah. It, that they would see that it's the same time that they just would see uh, the offense line up and set and react to that in the same way that a defense typically does, you know, from the offensive formation. So um, th th it doesn't happen, you know, 20 seconds before the play gets run to give them plenty of time to actually react and change personnel and do things. Yeah. So there's not, not really an opportunity to gain a inside advantage. Got it. Got it. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about how people interacted on the interface. I mean, again, for me, I, I think what we're seeing at engagement is just obviously this massive consumer shift from passive consumption to active participation and the desire for fans to actually be interacting with and have ownership and decision-making ability with the brands that they love, whether that be sports, music, fashion, whatever it is. Um, so I'm curious from your actual demographic data, I mean, you guys grew massively as the season went on from, you know, 735,000 fans to all the way up to 2.1 million viewers in, in week five, how many people tuned in passively versus actively participating? Oh, that's an interesting question. So we definitely, it was an education process for us. Uh, and, I, and what was interesting, I think, is we, we, you asked me earlier in the conversation about did the, how did the demographics line up versus what you thought going in? Mm -hmm. uh, and I shared that they were relatively in line with what we thought was going to happen. I think it was more of an assumption on our part that, well, gee, everybody's just going to call plays, right? right. Uh, but, uh, but that's not what happened. 
we actually, the games in themselves are actually very exciting. Um, probably 75% of them came down to the last play of the game, uh, either a touchdown or not quite a touchdown. The final score, uh, you know, decided in the last seconds. So the games themselves were very exciting uh, and the quality of play was very good. And uh, the majority actually of our fans just watched the games. They didn't really? actually call play. Yes. And, uh, and I found that surprising. Uh, I think we all found that a little surprising, but I think in part it was an education process, right? I mean, if you are a general football fan, you watch NFL or you watch college football, you may or may not have ever been on Twitch before. True. Twitch is its own thing. And the idea of an extension is not necessarily intuitive. You got to click here, you got to register, then you got to launch it there. And there was an education process for us. And over the course of the season, we definitely continued to have more downloads of the app. So more people calling plays using the app. And we definitely had more plays from week to week. We had more fans calling plays. Um, but uh, but it was, it was definitely less than half, which I thought was interesting. I, for me, what that says is I think I think there were folks within our organization that thought, oh, because we're on Twitch, we think we have these four relatively equal segments, but at the end of the day, it's probably gonna be mostly gamers, you know, and they're just gonna full on lean into the interactive piece of it. Well, if you think about it, even the gamers, most of the, most of the watching on Twitch is watching. It's actually not interacting. It's not telling the streamer what to do. It's not voting on what the streamer is going to do next. It's also actually a passive watching experience. Um, so, so even within the regular Twitch audience, it was an education of, oh, no, it's not just watching. You can actually help make the decisions. So I think now that we've been you know, getting the word out as, as to you know, what that opportunity is, I think the percentage will continue to grow. And, and in season two, I anticipate it'll flip to majority um, fan calling plays. That's fascinating. Now, did you, I mean, how did you guys go in and dig that, dig that out? I mean, obviously, I mean, you can, you can observe it anecdotally and see, Hey, it's probably an education thing. You guys are maniacally focused on, on data and understanding that. Did you sit down with fans and talk to fans afterwards? I'm just curious uh, to figure out why the numbers were the way that they were, or how did you guys go about assessing that? Yeah, so we did do some postseason uh, fan surveying. Uh, we we didn't actually have like a sit down focus group sort of situation. We just we did some. Yep. We worked with a company called Java Foundry and did some fan surveys. But uh, as we head into season two, we're actually going to set up more of a uh, a fan uh, virtual focus group sort of situation, and we'll get more data and information from them as we go in. But uh, but for season one, it was it was observational in terms of looking at the data. So okay, we've got this number of folks uh, doing live view um, uh, at this moment. Uh, we've got this number of fans actually calling plays. We have this number of fans that clicked on a play and didn't click submit. We have this number of fans who clicked on the extension but didn't call a play. And it was just sort of analyzing the percentages and you know when people would drop from doing one thing to another. Yeah, you're, you're looking at the actual behaviors instead of necessarily going out and asking them. Well, as you do go ask them, I mean, that that's part of what we do. We're helping one client with that right now. So holler at me afterwards and uh, and we got your back, Jen. Um, so let's talk about, I mean, there's something on the website that I 
I loved the way you you phrased it. Uh, and so I'm going to quote it here. So unlike traditional leagues, our focus is on optimizing everything on the field and through the entire fan experience. If something sucks, we'll work with the fans. Heck, even if something's awesome, but we can make it better, we want to know. Talk to us about, I, I, I mean, I see, I see so many senior leaders that say customer experience or the fan experience is important, but no one person owns it because it stretches across so many different silos. And so as a result, nobody ends up focusing on the overall holistic customer journey and that customer experience. So how did you guys approach continuing to get better and innovating week after week and, and from one season to the next? How, how are you guys focusing on optimizing that customer experience? We do have one person whose title is uh, head of fan experience, customer journey. That's Patrick Dees. He's one of our four co-founders. Love uh, it. But, uh, but and, and interestingly, he was also part of our broadcast team. He comes out of the gaming world and, uh, and he was interacting with our fans live during broadcasts in the Twitch chat and through DMs, literally taking feedback in real time. And we actually had um, situations that, uh, that occurred during the course of the season where we actually changed rules in real time based on uh, comments in the chat uh, and, and fan reaction to things that were happening. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not exactly sure I 100% agree with uh, deciding in the moment to make a decision. <laughs> I mean, we all know like the squeaky wheel getting the grease, right? Like the, the 10 people complaining in the chat may or may not represent all of the fans uh, feelings about something, but that's why we're also constantly asking the fans to vote and tell us what they want to have happen. So everything from uh, starting out the season with asking fans, what, like what should the rule be about a completed catch? Is it one foot inbounds or two feet inbounds, right? Everything from something as simple and straightforward as that, which then that became part of the rule book to, you know, hey, um, uh, we don't want to just go with the regular coin toss to start the game. What should we do for that? And fans ending up voting for rock, paper, scissors. And we had the two team captains go out and do rock, paper, scissors. And that's how we decided who got possession to start the game. Um, we asked the fans. So we asked them before the season started and we would ask them during the course of the season as things would happen in a game situation the next week, there might be a fan vote up for the week. Hey, this happened last week. Should we keep the rule the way it is or should we change it because there was controversy? And um, uh, and we really, we, we follow the fan vote. I mean, what the fans say is, is what we end up doing. So it's a little bit scary to be honest. I, from the beginning, I said to people, oh, Jen, you're a, you know, you're a, mar a brand marketer and uh, you know, it must be really fun starting this league from scratch. I said, I have no control over anything. I said, you know, normally you sit down with your agency and you design these logos and these brands. And no, we said, hey, here's our celebrity team owners. They each have their own personalities. Hey, fans, what should the names of these teams be? And then they submitted thousands of name ideas. And then uh, we let them vote. And we were stuck with the winners. I mean, they all ended up being good names, but they could have been terrible. And, uh, and so then we said, okay, great. You know, design the logos for us. And we got logo submissions in. And then we let the fans vote. And again, they could have been terrible. But we kind of lucked out and we had some fans who happened to be really great, you know, designers. Only one of the four team brand logos was a fan who's actually a professional graphic designer. All three of the others were people that, yeah, just sketched stuff out and uh, ended up really hitting the mark. And the other fans 
uh, resonated with them and, and they voted for it. So, so I had nothing to do with the brands of the teams. Uh, that was all the fans and, uh, and they just, they just keep deciding stuff. Wait, so I'm, I'm fascinated now. This is not on our, our Google doc of potential questions to ask, but, <laughs> but as you, as you bring okay. it up, I mean, I think this is something that senior leaders in, in sports and entertainment sometimes struggle with. And, and really any industry, if you've been in the industry for so long, you have an idea of, Hey, this is the playbook that works. I've done this before. And, and I know that if we do X, Y, Z, we're going to have impact. But you had, you mentioned, you, I mean, you had no control. You were putting it in the, in the hands of the fans. I mean, mentally, how did you come around to accepting that lack of control? And I, I think that's part of also why, senior leaders sometimes shy away from getting this fan feedback on different things because they don't want the fans to tell them something different than the path that they want to pursue. Right. I mean, mentally, how did you, how did you wrap your hand with being wrap your head around being okay that the decision was out of your hands and the fans were going to dictate the business decisions that you made? Right. Right. I, I, I think it was my fascination with the concept from the beginning. So from the time that I met the CEO uh, initially, and we were introduced by a mutual contact um, and uh, learned what they had done with the proof of concept team that they had rolled out in 2017. First, he told me what it was. And I said, this is crazy. You didn't really do that. And, uh, and he said, no, check it out on Twitch. Like we really did it. And, uh, and I did. And, and, I just bought in from the beginning to that fundamental ethos of the concept, which is that the fans are going to decide. So it wasn't a process of kind of coming to believe or coming to agree. Now it's scary because they don't always vote for the thing you want them to vote for. And you can't really finagle it to make them do that. So, um, so some, sometimes you just, I just had to be okay with the fact that they picked something that I just sort of thought was not a great idea, but, um, uh, but I bought into the Were there any decisions that you looked at and you said, this is going to be a terrible, I can't believe the fans voted for this. Uh, I absolutely <laughs> wouldn't have done that, but it ended out working well. Uh, I really, I mean, I'll, okay. I'll just be honest. And whoever submitted the idea that the city to the podcast, they'll be mad at me, but I did not like the submissions that made it to the final round for the name of the championship game. Okay. I just didn't like any of them. And uh, we had had hundreds of submissions. We asked the fans, like, hey, we need to name our championship game, you know? And uh, so what should we call it? And we got a bunch of submissions. I mean, I was going along voting all season, too. I was, I'm Glacier Boys. Uh, I signed up for Glacier Boys team, and I was voting all along the way, and I voted for what I thought might be a good, you know, championship game uh, name. And, uh, and in the end, the, the fans voted for the people's championship, which it, I mean, it makes sense, right? It's the, it's the championship for the people, the fans, right? But, but to me, <laughs> it also felt like a little communist or something. <laughs> uh, so, so I wasn't really sure about that one, but that was what they voted for. And that's, that's what we got logo designed for. That's on the t-shirt. That was on the graphics. That's, that's the name of the championship. And well, it seems like it ended up working out well. So <laughs> it worked out all right. It worked out all right. Well, let's talk a little bit about kind of fan IQ and the badges and higher voting power. I mean, where my 
my brain, well, let, let's start with this and then I'll ask my follow-up question, but how, talk to us a little bit about that fan IQ badges. How did fans earn those badges? What trends did you see as they were leveling up? So, yeah. So from the beginning, our idea was not just about voting, but how do we incorporate other aspects of video game play, right? Mm -hmm. Into the consumption process. And so, so badges and fan IQ became a core piece of that. So it's very, anyone that's played any kind of mobile game, video game, you know, you, you earn, uh, you earn to get more opportunity. You get to other levels, you unlock things, you get more lives, all these different things happen. Uh, so fan IQ was something from the beginning uh, that, that we wanted to incorporate. And uh, it also is a mechanism for us, to be honest, to create incentive for fans to not only interact and do more with us in the ecosystem, but also with our corporate partners. Um, so we have fans earning fan IQ by, by calling plays, by voting, by calling plays that are successful, by watching videos that we ask them to watch, by taking quizzes that we ask them to complete, by clicking on links to go places and look at things and consume them. And, uh, and the more fan IQ you earn, the higher level you obtain, and, uh, and the higher level you obtain, the more weighted voting power you have. Badges are similar, but separate. And again, a, a very standard kind of video gaming construct, but uh, complete a certain set of tasks, you earn a badge, uh, and then that badge will give you certain benefits during the course of the season. So, the, you know, we preseason, we did something progressive was one of our sponsors and uh, we did a progressive snapshot badge. So fans uh, completed a series of tasks each week uh, leading through the preseason that uh, those fans that completed enough of the tasks earned the snapshot badge. And the badge not only earned them a snapshot of insider information before each draft day, something that other fans don't have access to, uh, but also gave them some um, unique weighted voting power opportunities uh, in game. So, you know, earn the badge, get some benefits, earn more fan IQ, get more benefits, it's all part of the stickiness of video game play. And so it became part of the stickiness of what we were trying to build here. I love that you integrated the sponsors into it. I mean, from a, from progressives point of view, I mean, they had to have been thrilled that it wasn't just a static sign that was rotating in a stadium somewhere. You were actually creating emotional connections with customers that then would resonate with their brand as well. Um, I mean, talk to us about some of the sponsors' reactions to being involved with some of this gamification aspects to the league. Yeah, literally every pitch conversation we had before the season started included, and hey, part of the whole point here is for you to be integrated into the ecosystem and be part of this whole process to, to be part of the fan journey. And we really only aligned with partners that were excited about that opportunity. So whether it was, you know, the Wendy's hot mic giving fans an opportunity to celebrate with the players virtually um, or the progressive Verizon and their fan controlled view in the app, which allowed fans to pick different, whether they wanted to only watch the game through the drone camera, or do they want to watch the helmet camera? Do they want to watch from the end? So, um, again, giving fans control of their consumption in that way, but courtesy of, uh, corporate partner, uh, everything was was really thought out in advance as much as we could to to give the brands the opportunity to to benefit the fans and their journey and their ability 
um, to be successful. So like I mentioned, you know, the IBM Watson, mm-hmm. um, helping fans be successful and calling plays, uh, whoop coming in and, and giving us uh, recovery scores each week. But all right, before uh, showing me your whoop band, uh, recovery scores before each draft day. Well, Hey, you know, which player should I draft? Because who's coming back from last week's game better than who else at that position, all those sorts of things that, uh, that really help the fans, you know, connect, uh, in different ways. I know you guys also recently talked to our friend, Jason Fox from earbuds. We love earbuds. That was another way to just bring the fans into the world and have them connect and better understand the players. You know, what are these guys listening to? What are their playlists pregame when they're working out? Um, here's another way to learn more about them uh, through the music that they listen to. So, so all those different aspects uh, and the results that we had were, were terrific. Um, again, we talked earlier about surveys that we did postseason, and uh, a lot of the surveying also was around uh, fans' interest in, in our corporate sponsors, uh, what benefit they got from these different activations, uh, from the interactive activations and from the content uh, that was custom uh, again for them, and and overwhelmingly, exceedingly positive feedback on on the activation aspects, and uh, and that news was news we could deliver to the partners. Hey, it wasn't just that you had all this great visibility in the LED signage or on our website or on our app, or whatever, but you know fans rated the benefit of your activation at like eighty two percent. That's out, that's yeah. pretty great, you know, things like that. Yeah, yeah it, I think I think in today's day and age, organizations, sports and entertainment organizations that are one, you can't do it alone. I mean, you've got to partner up with great, innovative companies that can help you enhance the customer journey in order to retain that share of heart and that share of wallet. Um, so, partnering up with companies like Earbuds, we mentioned Jason, and some of the other companies that you guys have done, it allows you to tap into all these other facets of the customer and and get them more attached to your brand, create a better experience, but. I mean, further than that, I, I think CMOs at big brands like a progressive that you mentioned, right? They don't want to just see any more eyeballs. Eyeball numbers are not good enough. You got to have what is that emotional connection that how is that changing when people see our brand? And if you can't move the needle there, you're they're going to go somewhere else where a, a company can help them move that needle uh, with the emotional connection to their brand. So I, I think what you guys have done on that side of the house is incredible. Um, going, going and talking about more of this gamification aspect of it. I mean, how do you foresee web 3.0 impacting relationships between sports and entertainment organizations and their fans? So the ability for, I mean, we, we've got the gamification of the badges and the fan IQ and the points, but how do you see, I I don't know if you guys have had any of these conversations around maybe social tokens or the ability for fans to actually benefit monetarily from the success of the league as they participate. Have you guys started to have any of those conversations yet? Oh, I mean, we already have done that. So tell, okay. Tell uh, us about it. Tell us about it. That's my ignorance. Keep, keep going. Yeah. At the start of the season, we partnered with uh, the Republic platform, which is a way for individuals to invest in, uh, unaccredited investors to invest uh, in in um, in startup brands and and so we gave the fans of our teams the opportunity to actually for as little as one hundred fifty dollars own a share of their favorite team and uh, within two weeks we had a cap on that uh, the fans would end up owning a total of 
5% of each team. And uh, within two weeks, all four teams were sold out. Uh, so we actually have fan owners of all of our teams and uh, they are in, in conjunction with our celebrity owners and, and obviously the league ownership. Um, but uh, yeah, fans are already able to benefit from the, the upside of uh, the value on these teams. But, you know, for season two, uh, we're looking at NFTs, right? That's hot yeah. now. But the truth is, from the time that I actually joined this organization three and a half years ago, we were already talking about tokens and tokenizing the experience uh, because there is utility in in what we do. So right now people are launching these NFTs like, oh, you can own this image or this video. But for us, it already was like where everybody's going to end up going, right. which is two steps further down is the utility of it and how can you use the token to get something. Uh, so so Fan IQ actually... Um, kind of grew out of our original concept of fan token. And uh, it was kind of a weird time in 2018. Uh, initial coin offerings became something that the SEC did not want to really see happening. They, they put a lot of uh, restrictions out there. And so we had originally planned to actually launch a fan token in 2018. We would have been so far ahead of the You would have been. You would have been you know definitely would have happened, on the cutting but, uh, edge. Um, so we didn't. We put that on hold. Yeah, we went with the basic fan IQ to start. But... Um, but but NFTs and uh, are, is definitely something that that will be part of the plan going forward. Uh, we're going to incorporate some aspects of uh, betting in into the process, predictive um, uh, gaming, and and eventually, uh, you know, fans will have an opportunity to actually bet on the action, just like like they do in uh, uh, the other major leagues and things like that too. So there are other layers that are coming. I mean, this, this, it just sounds like the most exciting league to be a part of because it seems like there's no idea that's too far fetched. But were there any ideas that were just like too far fetched or too half baked that you guys just couldn't? You said, ah, that, that one's too crazy. Don't know that anything was too crazy. I think we were more constrained by resource and time. So we had, Tons of great ideas, but we had to prioritize based on the funding that we had to get season one off the ground uh, and the runway that we had uh, from the time we knew we were going to go live to when we actually were going to go live. So there were there were definitely certain things that are uh, pretty crazy that are probably just more on the back burner uh, and were kind of lower priority as we tried to get, you know, make sure that the basics for sure worked properly uh, for the first season. But But I don't think there's... I don't think there's any idea that we just sort of threw away. I think any, and you know, mothballed it. I think any and all of them are still on the table. It's just a matter of like when they may or may not get deployed. Yeah. We, we'll take any crazy. We got. <laughs> How, um, maybe, maybe we don't, maybe there's not much here, but I feel like I have to ask it. I mean, when you have a bunch of these crazy ideas that are on the table, I mean, well, twofold. I mean, one, how do you come up with some of these crazy ideas? Where do you guys draw inspiration from? But the second follow-up question to that would be, I mean, how do you prioritize which ideas to work on? I mean, structurally, what is that process that you guys have for idea creation and idea prioritization? Well, our co-founders have been working on this concept for seven years. So there's just a history of discussing and rediscussing what is this going to look like? What are the opportunities? What can we create? And, and just trying to kind of make sure we're capturing everything all the way through the process. And we fired all sorts of great people uh, from 
the football operation side to the tech development side to growth and influencer strategy and social media and and all these different areas that all come with their own different backgrounds and perspectives. Uh, we have obviously the players themselves, and then we have the fans. And uh, and any and all ideas can come from any and all those places. Uh, a matter of trying to capture them. And then in terms of prioritizing, again, like I said, it was sort of uh, what are the basics 100% that we need to make sure work properly in season one? What are the KPIs that our investors want to see mm. by the time we get to season one? So what are the things from all these great ideas that we want to do that we can, uh, that are going to help us hit the KPIs that we can effectively execute uh, and it will actually work. Uh, so we don't want to build some crazy piece of technology that we don't have enough time to test it and it doesn't really work. And now it's a bad fan experience. We don't want to do that. So, you know, very basics. We have like the whole core of this is play calling. So the play calling has to work. We have to minimize the latency. We have to be able to get the information into the players on the field so they can actually run the plays. That core of it and then building out from that all the bells and whistles around it. Obviously, we're also bringing in corporate partners. They're paying us. We have these big ideas with them. Uh, making sure that those get executed is also then becomes uh, a priority, but, but really trying to make sure that what we were partnering with them on dovetailed into the things that were the priorities. Again, I'll just go back to the IBM example again. There was definitely a lot of work that went into feeding uh, relevant data into Watson to help Watson make those predictions. There was relevant programming that had to happen to pull that information for fans to be able to visualize it. But at the end of the day, that partner uh, added to the fan experience and the core piece of the fan experience, which was play calling. So, you know, executing on behalf of the partners, but also um, hopefully having those partners be, be part of the things that are core to the experience anyway. Uh, all, all those were things that, that factored into um, how we kind of prioritize with the limited uh, um Makes sense. Uh, resources in terms of time and money that we had uh, to start the first season. When you think about, I mean, KPIs is something that you mentioned multiple times. I mean, looking back at season one, how did you guys measure success? What were those key performance indicators that you looked at and said, hey, if we hit this number or if you don't even have to hit, say, tell me the specific numbers within the KPIs, but what were the categories that you were looking at from a KPI perspective to say, to determine whether or not season one was a success? Yeah. So it was all about the funnel, right? So how many people we're reaching, how many are actually registering and then how many are taking an action. So whether they're actually calling plays or they're coming back to watch a piece of content or they're voting on something else, have we engaged them beyond the registration? So awareness, registration, participation. Action. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. I, th I think that's yeah. a good way. I think too often a lot of sports teams, I mean, they either get caught up with too many KPIs and it's and it's not um, it's not simple enough. It's way too complex, and people are working in silos and they're not coming together, or they're just focused on ticket sales and attendance and butts and seats. And you're like, it's fandom is deeper than that. Uh, you got to figure out those, co the couple three, what does that funnel? What does that look like? So I love that you guys map that out. Well, you know, what's really interesting is everybody thinks of like the major sports as, Oh, butts and seats. But the truth is, I don't know the exact statistic, but it's something around like 95% fans never actually are in the venue for their 
favorite team to experience their team in that way ever. They watch on TV. Right. Like the, it's a very small fat fraction that actually are ever in the stadium or the arena. Um, and, but, but people don't, it doesn't jive with what people, because they're used to seeing all those fans in, in the venue, in the background, um, which is, you don't have to spend the energy on that. Like fans are connecting anyway. Right. And Connect that- with them through the, that's that's where like 80-20 rule for me. Sometimes I get frustrated because we, you know, we work with uh pro sports teams and college sports teams on a regular basis and we're deep in a lot of these organizations. I mean, we've got email addresses with clients and um we're in all these meetings and and you you sometimes you look at the inordinate amount of time focused on a game day or an event and you're like most of our fans are interacting and spending money with us in other avenues, yet there's such a smaller focus on those other avenues. The majority of the focus always is on those live events. And yes, they're more complex to pull off. You might feel like you have more influence over those things. But when you think about where your attention is of the people that are spending money with your organization, it, it, it usually is elsewhere. And so how do you figure out, okay, how do we create revenue streams tapping into that 95% of the people that aren't with their butts in the seats? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is why we, we, to be honest, kind of took them out of the equation. That's right. That's right. (laughs) It's not just, it's not just time. It's, it's entire staffs, right? That you have your ticket sales staff, you have your game day staff. There's a lot of costs that go, that are the counter balance to the revenue that you're getting from those ticket sales. And and I'm not, I mean, look, I love sports. I love going to sports live, all kinds of sports. The, the game day experience is precious, but uh, as the sports launching a new sports organization, if you can scale to, you know, almost 10 million live views of your, in your first season, because you're focused on the broadcast through Twitch, as opposed to worrying about filling an arena of 10,000 people, like all day, put the effort into the scalability of the broadcast stream and the value of any people in the stands is just to make the the broadcast viewer like feel like a more excitement right. and vibe energy coming from the venue. But they're almost like part of the show. The fans are part of the show, uh, the ones that are in the venue, as opposed to it being sadly, you know, about them in that way. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it's really fascinating. I mean, we could go down a whole, I, I, I know we only have a few minutes left, but we could go down a whole rabbit hole on this path of, you know, doing things that actually, that scale on our higher margin and spending your resources there, as opposed to just saying, okay, traditionally, how have we always spent our time and allocated our resources? Um, but regardless, I, I am curious on this note, have, have any of the major leagues come to you guys and said, Hey, what are you doing? I mean, what, what have been some of the most provocative questions that you've got from some of these other major leagues or teams? Uh, we, we haven't really talked to them. Really? That that's su- I mean, on one hand, it's surprising. On the other hand, it's not. No, I mean, we're just doing our own thing. Our, our concept is fan controlled sports and entertainment. Uh, we've launched football. Our ultimate goal is to launch other sports uh, and, and create this different kind of experience. It's not about trying to be a minor league for the NFL. It's not, it's not about that. So uh, no, we really haven't had conversations with uh, with any of those folks. I love it. Well, hopefully they think what we're doing is cool. I don't ho- know. Hopefully they think what you're doing is cool. Hopefully they're learning from you guys because I think what you're doing is super innovative and and really pushing the needle. 
Um, well, what's couple couple more questions just to bring us home here. Um, what are you most excited about for season two? What new developments within the league are you most excited about? Well, we have a lot of things that are surprises that I can't yet reveal. Um, but we, we are continuing to lean into other aspects of technology, like other ways to bring more data and information to the fans, uh, even add to the interactivity of the viewing experience. Uh, we're any also examples more- that you can share? No, they're all secrets. <laughs> okay, keep going, deals. keep going, keep going deals. high level then. Fine, sure. fine, I'll let you stay high level. Uh, but uh, but also we're adding more teams. So again, to this whole uh, concept of scalability, again, we're not a league where to add more teams, you have to you know, do new municipality deals and build a new stadium and sell a bunch of new season tickets. You don't have to do any of those things to add a team in our league. You just say we're adding a team and then you have a team. Uh, so, but what's fun for me is that we're going to go through that brand building process again. So we're going to ask the fans to, you know, submit name ideas for the new teams and the logos and the whole thing. And now that they actually see the exist, this is different now because they, they can see the four original teams. And I don't know if that's going to engender more or less creativity, honestly, uh, from, from the fans of the expansion teams. Are they going to try to follow the mold of what they already see are they going to try to go even crazier? Um, so that that's going to be interesting to to kind of see how that plays out. All all fascinating stuff. And anybody listening, I mean, if you if you're not hooked by now to pay attention to what's going on in season two uh, for fan controlled football, I, I I don't know what to tell you. Um, Jen, any any I guess last question. This is one question we always ask. If you've got a giant billboard and you can put any piece of advice that you would to other senior leaders in sports and entertainment on that billboard, I mean, what piece of advice would you give? Yeah, I think um, to be honest, I I think it's a message for anybody, not just any other executive in the industry. I, I feel like nowadays people just lose track of the golden rule. You know, it's like, Let's just treat everybody the way we want to be treated ourselves. Treat your employees the way you want to be treated. Treat your fans the way you want to be treated. Respect, openness to ideas. You know, um, I, I just think that, I don't know, there's there's a weird thing in our culture going on right now that of an, it, intolerance that is per, pervading in different places. And I'd like to see us get back to, in general, folks kind of just respecting other people's opinions and um, uh, you know, being open to other people's ideas, whether, you know, in your business life, personal life, whatever, I, that's probably golden rule. And it'd be, it'd be a gold, big gold billboard. And it would just, maybe it'd just be gold and on it or, you know, something like that. Well, I can't, I can't speak to you practicing that in your personal life. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that you do, but certainly in your business life, as you know, you have to respect all the opinions of the fans that are, are voting on everything, uh, in fan controlled football, you're living that out. So, uh, I think it's a good place to close us. Jen, where can people follow along your journey, reach out to you with any questions and and keep track of what you're up to? Where can people reach you? Sure. I'm on, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn is really actually the best place uh, for folks, to be honest. Um, I am not our head of social, so I'm not a big tweet tweeter or anything else. So don't, don't bother. You can follow me on Twitter, but you won't see anything. Um, (laughs) LinkedIn is the best place, but, but follow FCF on across all the social platforms. We have great content on uh, Instagram and, and Twitter and, uh, we're doing more now on TikTok, so 
um, you know, we're kind of pervading the universe. Follow us on Twitch, sign up for our Twitch channel, be a follower of our Twitch channel. Uh, that'd be great. Beautiful. Jen, thanks so much. It's been yeah. a, a fun last hour and uh, look forward to our next conversation. David, thank you so much. Thank you and Katie. Really appreciate being invited and, and the opportunity to speak with you. It was fun. Thank you. Today's episode is brought to you by Checked In, a new tool in your operations toolkit that helps you understand exactly who's working in your venue. It's one of the tech products the engagement team helped create during the pandemic. And with it, we set out to solve some of the key problems sports and entertainment operators face every day. The tool does a few things, from helping you gain more labor data to operate more efficiently and mitigate risk. And it also saves you time and headaches by automating the horrible check-in and credential approval process that has existed for so long. But my favorite part of Checked In, hands down, is that it's tied to a digital learning platform. Now, historically, training game day staff has taken place before the beginning of a season. But how do you train the workers that start mid-season? Or the workers that just come in to work the big games, the big events? Well, this tool solves that issue. With Checked In, you can create and push training to your teammates digitally, and you can require employees to watch training videos before they're able to physically check in to work. Checked In has begun rolling out at some of the biggest stadiums in the country, and they're now opening up beta access on a limited basis. If you want to see how it works and get a demo, head to checkedin.app. That's C-H-E-C-K-D-I-N dot app. We'll make it easy and link to it in the show notes. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue, so when you're with us, Hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.